Hello, MMA enthusiasts and casuals alike. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the MMA Archive. Blessed to be here. Excited for another great event. Um, new trendsetters, as always. Some new faces that really make some waves. And as well as some returning faces that I'm excited about. So this one is really exciting. I can't wait to get into it. Um, as always, you already know, it's only right we go right in with the numbers. UFC number eight, David versus Goliath. And the name is fitting, man. We'll see why once we get into the uh, quarterfinal bouts. But this one took place on February 16th, 1996, two months after the Ultimate Ultimate. <clears throat> this one was in Bayamón, Puerto Rico, represent. For my Boricuas out there, um, this one took place at the Ruben Rodriguez Coliseum, 13,000 in attendance, and you heard it. Um, this event was turned up from the start to the end. Uh, the crowd was really engaged, and even during some moments where you, you kind of feel the bouts um, swaying from side to side, um, they'll, they'll go with whichever way the momentum's going. Um, they're rooting for whoever whoever's winning. Uh, which is always exciting, even though obviously the back and forth can be a little confusing uh, to find out what side the, the crowd is truly on. Um, but an engaged crowd makes for a great event. Nonetheless, 160,000 pay-per-view sales. I think that's important to note because even in today's landscape, you would argue that this is a pretty good number um, for certain promotions outside the UFC, boxing events even. That's a pretty good number. And for 1996, uh, you cannot do much better than that, if you ask me. Um, our TV announcers are Bruce Beck, Don Wilson, and Jeff Blatnick, the powerful Jeff Blatnick. Rest in peace. Um, th this one is dope because this tournament is centered around the idea of we got some giants and we got some regular David type guys smaller uh yet powerful in their own right of course they're all stepping in there trying to do the damn thing but um some really big giants here to to look forward to you know casting a big shadow up against their opponents um why don't we just get right into these matches um <clears throat> our first alternate bout took place between sam atkins and keith mielke sorry if i'm saying that incorrectly this is unfortunately the plague of alternate bouts. I need to find out how the hell to watch these consistently um, because I feel like every week I'm coming on here with an excuse, but I cannot find these <laughs> the footage of this um, when I go to the actual event video, which is about um, almost two hours long. They don't include it. They just include the start of the tournament. And when I'm trying to search up the individual bouts on the UFC Fight Pass app, they don't have them. So if any of you guys have any way to find these bouts on a more regular basis, uh, please let me know. But with that being said, don't forget to follow me on Twitter. You can catch me at Negron MMA, as well as on Instagram at Chris Negron underscore. If you like what you see and you see what you like. Um, now it's time to get into the actual in-depth analysis from what I'm able to watch what I'm able to notice in these fights, and let's get right into it. Our first quarterfinal bout of the night, we have Don the Predator Fry coming in at six foot one, 206 pounds. This is our first David 
stepping up against our first Goliath, Thomas Ramirez, the hometown hero representing Bayamón, Puerto Rico, standing at six foot one, 410 pounds. Now I'm going to say just by those numbers, man, y'all couldn't have gotten somebody a little bit better to represent Puerto Rico. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, I get, I get you wanted to get your Goliaths, but damn, bro, this was a tough one. And you'll probably know how this one is going to go just by me saying that. But, dude, um, both of these guys making their UFC debut, Dan Severn was actually in Don Fry's corner, which I found super dope. Um, obviously, starting to see the evolution of the sport where a lot of the guys that the people we know are training with are now making their way to the UFC. And it's cool to see Don, uh, Dan Severn in Don Fry's corner represent. Once again, um, a, a funny stat that they mentioned about um, Thomas Ramirez. They said that he claims to be 200 and 0 in challenge matches on the island, bare knuckle fighting. When you hear some shit like that, bet the house on the other dude. I'm just saying, because th this is cap, bro. Like, you cannot look across at this man and be like, yeah, he's 200 and 0. He ain't never lost a fight in his career. Nah, bro, not, not at all. Um, and once again, sorry to spoil things. I'm making it pretty clear how this one went. But damn, like, they just sent some fodder in there. Why do they got to do us Puerto Ricans like that, bro? <laughs> at home, just sending in the worst dude possible. Um, but this one starts out pretty comically. Ramirez comes out in softball, lands a stiff jab right out the gate as Don Fry's trying to rush his way in, which was promising. I'm, I'm excited. I'm like, let's go. You know, he's, he's doing something. Uh, but then Fry just led together with four different uh, punches in combination. And the third one caught Ramirez cold right on the chin and slept them, dude, like at eight seconds. The shortest bout in UFC history up to this point, uh, the second only being Oleg Taktarov's guillotine finish, um, which came in nine seconds. Just, just insane how fast this fight finished. You see how quickly he drops, and he's a big dude, you know what I'm saying? So that, that was a big fall, um, and to see him go out stiff like that off of the first punch that lands, just sadness, bro. So sadness for my Boricuas. It's a hard time out here in Puerto Rico. But Don Fry is a freaking problem and someone to watch out for for the rest of this tournament, for sure. Um, but the next bout took place between Joe Morera versus Paul Varlins. We all know Paul Varlins standing at six foot eight, 300 pounds. Joe Marrera standing at 5'11", 205. Joe's getting a lot of respect, a lot of hype in his UFC debut. Um, they, were, they were actually saying that he was favored in this bout, the commentators. Um, and just looking at them, you'll be surprised because Joe isn't in some sort of insane shape. He's kind of a little, a little bit of a pudgy guy for his size. Um, and obviously facing a giant in his own right against Paul Varlins. Uh, making his seventh UFC appearance. He is three and three um, with his last one coming just two months ago at uh, the Ultimate Ultimate. So fresh in there, ready to go. Um, tough matchup, if you ask me, for Marrera making his UFC debut. So I noticed as soon as this one started, you know, Joe looked pr pretty wary of the stand-up. He's leaning back. 
comes out in orthodox, but he's constantly leaning back, sort of shying away from that contact. And that's notable. Um, and we'll get to that later, why it's notable. But uh, as soon as the fight starts, he enters a clinch uh, with a front kick to the shin, which I found pretty funny. Just anything to sort of feel out. And once he was able to touch uh, Varlin's leg, he, he went in right behind to grab that clinch. And he landed some big right hands um, as Paul tried to work out of out of the clinch. I think that's notable to watch for for the rest of this fight. Um, doing a great job sort of clutching and then punching and then separating, staying away uh, from Paul Varlins as much as he can uh, while also landing strikes. Um, at some point, <laughs> Paul Varlins leads in with a karate chop, which I found hilarious. Uh, I hoped, I, I hoped and wished that that would have landed just to see what it, what it have done. I mean, um, I doubt it would have done much, uh, but still, I, I selfishly, I wish it landed uh, just, you know, for martial arts purposes. We got to figure out uh, what strikes are effective here. Give me one second as I sip my coffee. So peak martial arts, we got dudes throwing karate, uh, karate chops, but Varlins is sort of plodding forward in this matchup while Morera is backing up, trying to catch him coming in. Um, I, I thought it was notable that, you know, maybe, maybe Joe Morera looked back at that fight against Cal Worsham way, way back. I think that was UFC five um, where you see, you know, he's, doing everything he can to stay on that outside and land shots as Paul Varlins is coming in. And I got to give it to Paul, though. Even though that was the same game plan that I recommended after that fight, um, he, he's did a much better job of not leading face first and sort of diving in, trying to get into an exchanges as fast as possible. He did a good job staying very patient in this fight. Even though it didn't really give us the fight that we wanted, um, it was good for him in the way that he was able to stay behind his strikes and not get caught out too much, even though there was a bunch of times where um, Moreira was able to catch him coming in. So at some point, Moreira throws a right front, front kick, and as he does, he was sort of on one leg, and Varlins just cracked him with a big left hook up to the point this point in the fight just sort of the biggest punch of the fight, and it had Moreira on skates. He was on wobbly legs. Um, and eventually shot straight in for like a sloppy takedown. Immediately, Paul Varlin meets him with a three-punch combination, uh, which I found really good, sort of punishing um, Joe for, for going in for that takedown and trying to capitalize on, the, on that momentum. Um, Morera's backing up, and, and th at this point, Paul Varlin's is giving chase. He, he has him hurt. He's chasing after him, and Morera does a good job of catching him with a stiff jab as he's backing up. You know, reminding him, you can't just charge at me like that. That's my game plan. I'm trying to prevent you from doing that. And even if you have me hurt, I'm still going to be able to do just that. So that was that was cool to see. Eventually, um, <clears throat> Varlins landed a thudding outside leg kick and sort of starts taunting Joe. He's like, you're running away from me, man. Like, wh what are we doing here? And that, that always plays to the crowd in a way that gets them super excited and, and more engaged in, the, in a fight that, frankly, is a little boring, where Joe's just trying to back up, keep distance, while Paul Varlins is trying to do some methodical pressuring and not put himself in a bad spot. But Marrera ends up rushing in to clinch 
and then separates and lands a beautiful left hand on the clinch break. You could see once again, this is his game plan. And I like that you, I like that he has a game plan. You know, a lot of the time you feel like these guys just run across the cage and, and, and get it done and respect that works when it works, it works. Um, but as the David in this matchup against the Goliath, it makes sense that you try to craft a good game plan to put yourself in the best spot to win. So after some more plotting by both of these guys, we go to the judges. And I think it's important that you guys recognize this is a 10-minute bout, and I've, I haven't talked about it too much. I think that really shows um, the lack of action in this one. Um, but as we head into the judges, I personally feel like Marrera had the right idea, even though he wasn't effective in sort of keeping the volume up there and um, sort of creating shields for Varlins to walk into with kicks specifically. I think if Marrero was a little bit more active, you know, he could have had a shot to win this one. Um, but going into the judges, I thought firmly that this was Varlin's fight because he was the one pushing the action and really going after it. And all three judges agreed with me. They scored it for Paul Varlin's. So Varlin's gets the decision win and moves on to the semis. So right now, Goliaths um, and Davids are one and one. So interesting. We don't really got a pattern here just yet. Um, but something to keep an eye out for how these guys perform against obviously just such a size discrepancy. But next up, we got two guys that are both making their UFC debut. Jerry Bolander standing at 5'11", 200 pounds, um, fighting out of um, Ken Shamrock's gym, the Lion's Den. Um, obviously, there's a lot of stories about that gym that you can hear about now. Just a bunch of killers and dudes was going at it every week. So really forged in the fire is Jerry Bolander. Coming up against Scott Ferrozo, who stands at 5'10", 330 pounds. Um, really big guy, obviously, once again, the David versus Goliath theme. Um, Jerry Bolander is pretty well built for his size, but obviously just a much smaller uh, athlete. So interested to see how this one plays out. Uh, Jerry starts it off with a really long stance or light on his feet uh, while Scott is plodding forward. Um, starts landing, uh, Jerry that is, starts landing some leg kicks to the thigh. They weren't the best. They were landing with the feet, which obviously you want to try to land with um, the shin so that it's bone contact rather than just uh, the foot. You could really injure your own foot, um, which is something you don't want against a guy that big. But um, eventually, Scott timed a kick and pushed Jerry up against the fence, pinned him there with a body lock and started landing big left hooks to the head. Um, it's always tough when you see someone stuck in that position because there's not really much you could do. Just kind of got to defend and try to get yourself in a better position. As he's trying to do that, um, Jerry went for, um, sorry, uh, Scott went for very interesting tactic. He's sort of facing Jerry, pushing him into the fence, and then decides to go for a suplex, which usually you go for suplexes when you have um, the body lock and you have their back because you're throwing them over their own shoulder. They could land on their head. That's the goal. Um, but I've never seen this, actually. He suplexed him while facing him, 
and Jerry lands straight on his face. Uh, you can see um, Scott sort of lean off to the to the right so that his head doesn't hit the ground as he throws both of their body weights back. Um, but Scott ends up holding on after the suplex and controlling him and ending up right in that back body lock position as uh, Jerry tries to stand back up to his feet. Which is funny because this is where he wanted to be for this move in the first place. So we find ourselves right in this position again. This time Scott gets off a proper suplex and it's a big one. Like you hear the, the canvas rattle. It was a big takedown. And Scott starts to attack the neck from a front headlock position after Jerry tries to stand up. Um, in that front headlock position, Scott lands a big knee uh, holding Jerry in place. And you always see whenever those land, you know, these guys try really hard to push up against that pressure. And that's exactly what Jerry did. He ends up in a sort of a um, clinch position and Jerry doing whatever he got to do to put himself in a position to get out of this sort of throws a little short head, but um, doesn't do much, probably, probably hurt him more than it hurt Scott. And he finds himself sort of locked up against the fence again. As Scott starts attacking a takedown, Jerry ends up locking up a guillotine and he tries to jump back for it, uh, but he gets caught up against the fence. So he's sort of floating. His feet are in the air. He's holding Scott's neck, but Scott's pushing him up against the fence. So he doesn't have the leverage to sort of either lay back into the submission or really go anywhere. He's just sort of stuck, suspended in air, um, which I found pretty interesting. I never really seen that. Um, in response, Jerry spits out his mouthpiece, I guess, to try to get some more air, uh, which I found pretty interesting, too, because <laughs> I think this is the first time Big John had to deal with this. He left that mouthpiece on the floor for like a good three minutes. <laughs> like Scott's just um, not Scott. Jerry's just fighting uh, Jerry Bolander, that is just with no mouthpiece for like three minutes, uh, which is just super dangerous, bad for your teeth. Thankfully, no big shots landed in that time to sort of make it matter uh, but it was interesting to note that regardless um, but Scott ends up taking him down with an outside trip and ends up just pushing him up against the fence once again um, <clears throat> in he's in Jerry's guard at this point and he has him pushed up against the fence and I was outraged Big John separates them um, despite being on top towering over on Jerry Bolander the fact that he was in that Jerry Bolander had him wrapped up in his guard was enough for Big John to separate it. I did not agree with that at all. Um, I hope the terrible separations don't continue for the rest of the night, but that was really notable. Um, he sort of gave Jerry another chance on the feet. And um, as soon as you, as soon as they separated, you see Scott has a big cut on his eye and I can't really pinpoint what it was from. I was looking back. It was a couple times that actually you see Scott hit his face on the fence. I think that could have potentially been what it was from. Um, but they they brought in the cut man to look at um, Scott's cut. And as they did, Jerry's mouthpiece is just still there on the mat. They didn't even try to, to give it to him in that break, which I found hilarious. They start the fight again, and you still see it on the floor. Um, crazy. The, none of that would happen today. Um, but as soon as they... Um, they start the fight again. Jerry lands a really nice body kick uh, that forces Scott to pressure forward. He did not like it at all. And as soon as he pressures forward, Jerry lands a nice straight right to the head. Um, but it doesn't stop Scott. You know, he walks right through it, pushes him up against the fence once again. 
and we're in this same spot again. Volander starts attacking that guillotine. Um, they end up sort of in a stalemate here. This this uh, separation I agreed with 100%. Big John separates them and finally gives Jerry back his mouthpiece. So now we're back at an even fight, I would say. Um, so they get put back in there. Scott goes for um, another one of those suplexes while facing Jerry Bolander. Um, but he doesn't have the proper balance this time. And as soon as they hit the mat, Jerry ends up scrambling and ended up on top, which I found, I was like, ooh, it's getting interesting now. Um, great job to sort of roll through with that takedown. Found himself in the same position as before, went for a ride, but kept high hips and made sure that he found his way to the top position instead of um, just sort of allowing Scott to take his back again. Um, he ends up closing the distance while Scott is trying to get to his feet and lands a big knee to Scott, uh, Scott Ferroza's head. Um, Scott responds by sort of driving through, pushing Jerry back to the fence once again. And Jerry wraps up that guillotine again. And at this point, I'm like, come on, man. Like, you're, you're not going to get this. And as soon as, like, that thought crossed my mind, Scott starts tapping. And I'm like, no way. Uh, because picture this, uh, Jerry's Jerry's got his back up against the fence. You can't you can't really drop down to get the proper leverage. Your legs are not in play at all. Um, this is not the same scenario as sort of John Jones versus Leota Machida, where John Jones is the one with the guillotine and pressuring Machida up against the fence. That gives him the leverage um, so that he doesn't have to use his legs. No, it's the opposite. Uh, Jerry's back is against the fence, doesn't have anywhere to go with the choke, and he still somehow gets Scott to tap. I, I think Scott must have been just exhausted at this point, and any sort of um, restriction to the breathing was what really got it done. Um, but, man, so surprised to see him get the tap at nine minutes and three seconds uh, right before the end of the fight. Uh, what a submission. Um, I really cannot think of another one like that where – you have the guillotine while standing up, um, but you have your back to the fence. It's just crazy. Just crazy. Um, but now David's a two and one, something to keep an eye out for. The little guys are representing so far. You know, you, you got to respect it. You got to respect it. But I don't expect anything less from a Lions Den trained fighter. So you got to give it up to um, Jerry Bolander there. But our final quarterfinal bout of the night, we've got Paul Herrera taking on Gary Goodridge, a name that many fans should be aware of. Uh, both of these guys making their UFC debut. Paul Herrera is actually um, of that the same camp as Tank Abbott. Uh, so lo looking for that savage gene here in this one. Um, obviously Paul Herrera standing 5'10", 185, so the smallest guy in the competition, while Gary Goodrich is standing 6'3", 258 pounds, and shredded. Let's be honest here, shredded. Um, this, this one was crazy. So Herrera comes out in orthodox, um, shoots straight for a takedown, just a great sprawl by Gary Goodrich. 
he was so deep on the sprawl. I explained what the sprawl is, but to quickly explain, that's when you bring your hips back as someone's trying to attack the, the, the takedown and you sort of pin their head down on the mat with your hips. Um, and they're in a spot where they can't really go anywhere. But he was in so deep on that sprawl that he could literally reach out and grab Herrera's ankle. Um, so he he could he could have kept them stuck right there. And that's exactly what he did. He grabs the ankle. And as Herrera sort of on one knee trying to figure out where he goes from here because he's stuck underneath um, and also being held from that from his ankle, uh, Goodrich stands up and sort of. Uh, I don't know how to even describe this. Like, I guess it's sort of like a front headlock position, but not he's not holding him. So he stands up, he traps Paul Herrera's arm in between his legs. It's a little hard to visualize here. And uh, drops back into a reverse crucifix. So he's holding one of Paul Herrera's arms out this way. His leg is holding the other arm across on the other side. So he's holding him in this way. And you see Paul, I mean, Paul, Gary Goodridge looked down and realized, like, he's stuck. <laughs> and as soon as he realizes that, he just starts throwing nasty elbows to the head. Just one of the most vicious knockouts I've ever seen, especially to this point. The most brutal knockout, if you ask me, because it wasn't like the Ramirez one where you, it's sort of a flash knockout or even the um, Tank Abbott knockouts that are just savage and make you feel bad. Like, it wasn't even like that. This, Paul Herrera had nowhere to go and was just getting bombed on by elbows in close range and just stuck in that spot. I honestly looked at it over and over again, and he sort of looked like he was out after the first elbow. And seven more of them landed in quick succession until Gary Goodrich decided that's enough. And he decided that's enough before big John did. And as soon as he sort of let go, you see Paul Herrera is just, just gone. His, he, his head hits the canvas. He his arms are dropped to the side and big John finally steps in um, just the longest 13 seconds of my life watching this guy get pounded like that. That was really tough to watch, even though it was a, a great KO and something to witness. Uh, you got to feel bad for him in that spot. Just tough, tough break right there. Um, and you wish Big John could have got to that one a little bit sooner, man. But Gary Goodridge, the king of cringe <laughs> at this point, runs straight head first into the cage to celebrate. I'm like, dude, why? <laughs> why? Why would you do that? Like, you just want to fight. <laughs> Didn't take no damage. And you're like, let me give myself some brain trauma. Um, and that's always tough to talk about with Gary Goodrich because obviously he's been very vocal that he has been um, dealing with some CTE symptoms later on in life. And I think that's important to talk about on the show, important to acknowledge, because, yes, I'm watching these events and glorifying these guys for what they did in the sport. But let's be real. It's very real, the, the consequences of this sport and the fact that we're seeing Gary Goodridge on the other side of it, where he's the one having the ultimate success, getting this highlight reel knockout. Um, really tough, really tough. So it makes you reconcile with your fandom a little bit, you know, even though this is something that su was super exciting to watch, you know, it's, it's also tough to watch. Um, 
and hope hope Paul Herrera is doing okay. That that was just brutal, man. Just brutal. But all right, we're moving on to the semifinals. Um, our first semifinal bout being Don the Predator Fry, six foot one, two oh six, going up against Sam Atkins. Now this is um notable because remember Sam Atkins was one of the people in the alternate bouts. He won his alternate bout, so now he finds himself in the semifinals. Unfortunately, Paul Varlins could not continue due to an injury. So Atkins was able to step in. Atkins is standing six foot three, 265 pounds. And if I'm correct, in the quarterfinals, it's two and two for Davids versus Goliaths. Um, so this is also another David versus Goliath matchup with Atkins being the Goliath. Um, interesting to note that both men up to this point are one and zero in the UFC. Um, obviously, both of their fights coming in this event. Um, but Fry comes out in Southpaw while Atkins comes out in Orthodox. Uh, Fry sort of showing the jab, but not really committing to it. That Southpaw right hand jab. Um, he eventually does commit to a jab, which uh, they were talking about how Atkins has a box boxing background. Um, and he was actually a training partner of Tommy Morrison, which is interesting. It's a super throwback, um, super throwback name there. Uh, but as soon as he throws that jab, he gets Atkins to throw a huge left hook um, that he's able to quickly duck under and sort of get a single leg takedown. Just great timing by uh, Don Fry, uh, chaining his striking into the takedown attempts. Just beautiful. I thought that was really impressive um, against someone that's much bigger than you, of course. Um, he ends up on Atkins' back and is just landing shots, man. Um, Atkins sort of throws himself um, to his own back so that he's no longer um, sort of stuck underneath Don Fry. And Don Fry jumps right into side control, keeps on battering Atkins, and eventually forces him to tap. But Big John doesn't see it. <laughs> so Fry doesn't care. He just keeps landing ground and pound, hitting him wherever he can, ends up opening a big cut across his um, eyebrow line. And eventually, Big John finally steps in to save Atkins at 48 seconds. This one was just a beatdown, man. And not not who you would expect just by looking at him. Uh, shout out to Don Fry once again. I am super impressed by his performances so far, his two fights. Um, whoever's going to face him in the finals is going to have a tough time because this guy has it all, striking and um, wrestling. To, to boot and mixes it up well which is something that you don't see very often at this point in the UFC so super excited for that our second and final semi-final bout takes place between another David versus Goliath matchup Jerry Bolander standing at 5'11 200 pounds versus Gary Goodridge 6'3 258 um, once again both of these guys are 1-0 with their wins coming in, in this tournament. And they both start this fight out in orthodox. Uh, Gud Goodrich comes out flailing his arms super weirdly, like sort of just trying to get him to react, um, not really trying to throw punches, but just sort of moving. And eventually opens up with the lead left hook that misses entirely. Uh, Jerry dunks, ducks under it and shoots for a takedown. Um, but Gary ends up grabbing a guillotine and um, sort of stops all momentum from um, Jerry. 
Goodridge. Let me not call him Gary. I'm going to call him Goodridge so that you don't get mixed up because that, that mixed me up a little bit just now, just looking at it. Um, so Goodridge grabs the guillotine and has him in this front headlock position and ends up lifting Jerry off his feet with the guillotine. We've seen this before in other fights, but it's just always surprising to see that. It's how you really know that there's a strength parity um, because it's hard to pick someone up off their feet, <laughs> let alone to do it just by the, their neck. Um, that takes a, a ton of strength. So Jerry was able to get out of the choke, but is now sort of pinned up against the fence. Um, Goodrich ends up sort of in a back body lock position and sort of takes him down, gets him to sit down and ends up on top inside control did a really good job um, sort of circling around and avoiding Jerry's half guard as he was trying to uh, keep his legs in play. Um, but great job as well by Goodridge sort of wedging his knee into um, Jerry's hip on the ground. So he really forced them to stay into that side control position, uh, which is just good work. You love to see uh, the knee deep into the hip like that from that position. That's just great control. And um Jerry's sort of holding on, trying to keep Gary in tight to prevent damage and maybe even try to get a stand-up from Big John, as he did in his last fight. Uh, Goodrich tries to sort of pass the legs and go into mount, but that ended up being a huge mistake as he ended up in Jerry's guard. Jerry secured both butterfly hooks, which is when, once again, you, you have the guard position, the full guard position, but your legs, um, you're, you're getting them in play by keeping your insteps, which is your shins, your shin area, um, uh, basically by their shins. So instead of wrapping them up in full guard, uh, you're sort of elevating them a little bit and trying to get them to push um, their weight up towards their shoulders instead of um, down towards their hips. That's where control comes from on, the, on top position. It's not from the top or the upper body. It's from the lower body and the hips. Um, so, sorry about that rant. I, I just get passionate about these things. You can't blame me. You can't blame me. Um, but <clears throat> Gary tries to posture up. And in that moment, uh, Jerry, sorry, but I just did it again. Uh, Jerry sweeps him beautifully, sort of um, takes the time as soon as he tries to posture up to elevate his um, insteps and elevate Gary Goodridge in the process, ends up on top in half guard. And now um, Jerry's going to work and the tables have turned. Goodridge is on the bottom, holding on, trying to stop any strikes from landing. Uh, Jerry's, you could tell he trains with a bunch of savages because he's using his chin. I mentioned this before in previous fights uh, to sort of gouge at Goodrich's eyes, like trying to trying to put the chin in the eye, get some nasty leverage there. Uh, Goodrich bucks out from underneath, trying to sort of get him get him off of him, um, but he finds himself in full mount with Jerry on top. Jerry starts landing some nice slick shots to the side of the head in order to maintain position. Um, Goodrich is sort of just holding on, trying to keep Jerry close. Um, and <laughs> I found this hilarious, but at one point, Goodrich just decides, that's it, I I'm getting up. And he sort of turns to his side, puts his arm out, gets a nice post, 
and then is able to pull himself up off that post and onto a knee. Uh, just just picture how how difficult that is. Close your eyes for me on this one. Someone is on top of you with their hips on top of yours already past your legs. And you're just reaching over to the side, like you're turning on your side, putting all your weight on run arm and then lifting yourself and them up to get your knee back on the ground. That That is hard to do. Um, that is not the technical way that they teach you to get out of that position. Uh, it takes a whole bunch of strength and you probably won't be able to do that again, like after you do it once. Um, so it's really not recommended, but hey, it worked here. <laughs> and um, you could tell that dude is just strong as an ox, man. And as he as he gets to that side position, Jerry tries to hold on to whatever position he can, but ends up giving up a slick takedown. So now he's on bottom again. Goodrich does a great job getting separation by sort of reaching for a choke, but then punching hard after he tries to defend it. And he landed a thudding right hand that you see bounces Jerry's head right off the canvas. And that's the first point in this fight where you really see, you know, they're not at a stalemate in the way that, yeah, there's been points where each guy has had a clear advantage on the ground. Um, but now, Goodridge is doing some damage and that's the key in these bouts. You're trying to, you're trying to inflict damage, not just um, end up in control, controlling positions. So Jerry sort of throws his legs up, trying to get um, hold of Goodridge's shoulders, um, looking to attack a triangle, but Goodridge stands up and stacks Jerry like a savage. Um, one of the, one of the ways that I really like, doing it personally myself because I'm a big guy where they're they're trying to attack that triangle and the way you stack it is you you put your knee right on their head um it's just not a good place to be on the bottom not a good place to be and he did that but on top of having his knee on um Jerry's head he's holding himself up using the fence so he's able to really drive into that knee and put a lot of pressure on Jerry's head uh, just a terrible position to be in. If you ask me, uh, with someone driving their knee straight into your head, into the canvas, um, Jerry starts looking at sort of invert for an ankle lock. Goodrich does a great job of keeping his balance by holding onto the fence. Once again, I can't wait to see how these sort of sequences change once grabbing the fence becomes illegal. Um, but at this point, you could do it. So do what you could do. And that's exactly what Gary Goodrich does, man. He holds onto that fence and uses his other hand. So he's holding on one hand to land two huge right hands on the ground that just made thudding noises. You could hear it and immediately got Big John to stop it at five minutes and 31 seconds, which I thought was like he must have saw something that I didn't really see because those shots landed hard, but I didn't think that was like, usually he lets it go a little bit more. So um, can't complain when I was asking him to do just that earlier. So great stoppage there for Big John, preventing further damage in what looked like a, just a dominant position for Gary Goodridge. So we got our final set, Don Fry going up against Gary Goodridge. And at this point, Davids and Goliaths are locked up with three and three. And we, we get a David versus Goliath matchup in the finals, which is so dope. 
Uh, we get to find out who is superior at the last second. It's not like a blowout for either side, which coming in, I thought, you know, just by size parity, you, you kind of think that those big guys are going to be the guys to get it done. Uh, but we'll see once we get to the final, who's going to be the one to triumph for their team, basically. But before we get to the finals, as always, we got a featured bout. This one I'm super excited for. We got Ken Shamrock, the defending super fight champion, if you ask me, standing at six foot, 215 pounds, going up, which it makes no sense. That once again, I always I always note this, but every time I look at this guy, like every time he comes back to the UFC for these uh, super fights, he looks larger. He looks more shredded than he did before, and he was shredded always. Uh, so that says something, if you ask me. He he taking them vitamins, boy. That's that's all I gotta say. He's he's on the regiment, you know what I'm saying? But he's fighting someone that's on that same regiment himself, Kimo Leopoldo, someone that we've seen before in the UFC. Uh, he's standing at six foot one, two hundred and seventy pounds from Waianae, Hawaii. Shout out to Waianae, my boy Max Holloway. He coming for the belt this year. He coming for the belt. But anyway, super random tangent right there. Uh, Kimo comes out, no cross this time. He's all business, but he has a Jesus banner, of course, because, you know, that's his thing. We're going to represent Jesus as we come out to bash each other's heads in, but that's 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 not, not, not here nor there. Um, Kimo is the guy, if you guys remember, who fought Hoist Gracie. He ends up um, getting armbarred by Hoist, but forces Hoist out of the tournament due to fatigue. So he's notable in that way. He gave him a really tough uh, fight. Ken Shamrock up to this point in the UFC is four, one, and two. But if you ask me if there was decisions like there are now, I think he should be six and one. I think he beat Hoist Gracie and Oleg Taktarov in those featured bouts that ended up being draws. Uh, so that's, that's just how I feel about it. He should be six and one obviously and already avenged his only loss to hoist gracie so at this point even though he's still nowhere near hoist gracie's consecutive win record of 11 um i think he's in that conversation on who you could consider the best fighter that's ever graced the cage at this point because he's fought hoist twice and he he lost really badly in the first one but if you ask me he won the second one in a very complete dominant way um, even though he didn't get that decision, it, it went to a draw, but just something I figured I'd note here before we get into it. So both men start off this one in orthodox and Kimo runs right across the cage at Ken and throws a right kick to the body. Uh, Ken throws a right straight, right down the middle, uh, to try to counter it, but doesn't land and just attacks for a takedown off of that kick and gets it, Go, gets him straight down to the ground. He does a great job, like like earlier um, with Gary Goodridge, he does a great job of circling into side control, circling around those legs as, after he secured the takedown and avoiding um, Kimo's guard entirely, going straight into side control. Uh, Kimo sort of holding on to this Armin guillotine, but obviously if you're in side control on bottom and you're holding on to a guillotine, you're holding on to a prayer. Like, let's be real. You don't have the leg position to finish that choke off 
and you are also putting yourself in danger of the von flu, which I, I remember I explained in a previous event as well. Um, but every time I see that position, I'm like, go, <laughs> go for the von flu. But at this point, um, I don't think that that submission has come to prominence. Um, can't wait to, to see that unfold at some point, because I always point it out. Um, but yeah, super ineffective position. If you're on bottom like that, let go of that choke, folks. There's no reason to hold on to it. If anything, you're just giving your opponent a better position. <laughs> you're, you're letting them advance. Um, so Ken finally gets his head out of that guillotine position, goes to work in the half guard, just landing punches, trying to advance. Uh, chemo secures the lockdown from half control, half guard, which is where you're basically doing a, a leg triangle with your leg on your opponent's leg to try to force them into that half guard. It's a stalling position. Um, think Daniel Cormier versus Anderson Silva at UFC 200. Uh, a lot of the time, whenever Daniel Cormier would get down Anderson, he'll do just that. He'll hold him in that stalling position and force a stand-up, um, which if that's your goal, then good. Um, but doesn't really do much for you in the moment because you're just stuck and you're sort of hoping that the ref uh, goes along with what you're what you're doing um can land some really good short shots to the ribs sort of softening up uh chemo and ends up stepping right into mount i love the way um ken shamrock advances on the ground you can tell he's a real shark and he, and he knows what he's going for um chemo bridges up gets to a post and eventually forces ken to lose his balance so once again this sort of just hulking your way out of terrible positions in the mount. It worked again for chemo and chemo ends up on top on Ken Shamrock because there was a little moment there where Ken, he was in full mount, but chemo turned and faced the mat to try to get up. And as he did that, Ken Shamrock dropped back trying to go for a choke, um, but he didn't have it. So that, that, that's what allowed chemo to get it back on top. As Kimo's on top, just a savage, throws a huge headbutt and ends up landing it. And once he lands it, he's like, I'm going straight to this again and literally lands four more in a row, uh, just bashing his head into Ken's face. Uh, that honestly did the most damage of the fight. You could see at the end of this one, uh, Ken Shamrock had a huge mouse under his eye from, from those headbutts. Um, Eventually, Chemo posts on Ken's face, sort of smothering him, covering the mouth. Uh, they were mentioning, you know, watch out for the eye gouges, but he wasn't even on his eyes. He was on the mouth. Um, you love to see that. I always mention that because it's just, it's not, it's, it's not clean, but it's not dirty. Like, it's not illegal. Um, it's, it's something that uh, is rough and rugged and really saps the energy out of your opponent, uh, which is only beneficial obviously so go for it if you're asking me go for it it's not it's not dirty by any means if you're if you're hooking eyes you're hooking noses then maybe maybe we're on the dirty side but covering the mouth smothering your opponent all fair game if you ask me eventually um after all of that uh ken sort of regains his full guard and is on his shoulders trying to keep chemo off of him he has high knees um and Kimo sort of telegraphs a big right hand um, that he's trying to land on Ken as Ken's sort of looking up at him. He moves to the side and you see Kimo sort of punches right down on the canvas. And as soon as he does, 
just slick stuff. Like you could see Ken is comfortable in these positions, even though technically you're on your back and in guard, it isn't really where you want to be. He, he knows how to make space for himself. And as soon as he throws that punch, he ducks over to the side and starts attacking a leg lock. And you know, Ken Shamrock's a, a demon on the legs. He, he loves going for those leg locks. So as soon as he wrapped, I was like, Oh, um, but he actually didn't have, um, his legs past the knee line of chemo he was actually to the outside so he ends up sort of rolling off to the side and not ending up in quite the position he needs to get that submission um chemo ends up trying to sort of stay on top instead of separating and that ends up being his biggest downfall man if you're fighting a grappler like this get out I don't care if you were doing well with the top position before, as soon as they start inverting and doing funky things with those legs, just remove yourself from that situation, restart, maybe you'll find them on the ground again, and if not, at least you're not in that position, um, but Kimo tried everything he did, he could to try to prevent Ken Shamrock from um, sort of ending up in that position, but Ken rolls like the vet he is, and is deep in on that leg. He has the knees where they need to be, right above the knee line of his opponent, Kimo. And they're doing that thing where Ken Shamrock is trying to get the right leverage, and Kimo's trying to hold his leg straight so that he doesn't get submitted. Uh, but eventually, Ken Shamrock is able to secure the knee bar and get the tap at four minutes and 24 seconds what can you say about Ken Shamrock, man? This guy finds a way to get it done, even through big adversity. Uh, he improves to five, one, and two officially. Once again, if you ask me, he's seven and one, seven and one, but got to give it the official records. Of course, they showed great respect after the fight, you know, hugged it out. Obviously, once again, Ken had the damaged eye, super beat up. But came out triumphant, man. You got to give it to him, able to find his way through a lot of tough positions, tough it out, and get the submission. And in the interview afterwards, he ended up calling out Dan Severn for a rematch. Uh, this was a, a super fight that happened, I think, two, maybe it was three events ago at this point. Let me check. I think it was UFC 5. Let me see. Dan Severn, Ken Shamrock. No, it was USC 6, Clash of the Titans. Um, so he called him out for a rematch, even though he already beat him with the guillotine choke. He was saying a lot of people were saying it was a fluke. Uh, so why not run it back? And that's just genius marketing, if you ask me. You're the super fight champion. This guy is the last um, tournament champion. You know, why not put yourself in that, in that position to try to get the win? He just won the ultimate ultimate. You just won your super fight. Why not make another super fight? Um, sounds good to me. Uh, we'll see what, what the UFC ends up doing, of course, but exciting times on the horizon for Ken Shamrock. If you ask me at this point, he is the number one pound for pound fighter in the UFC. If you ask me, because at this point, Hoyce Gracie is not competing anymore in the UFC. So it's only fair to give him that distinction. Even though I, I would say Dan Severn's a close number two. So... We'll see. We'll see what happens there. But now it's only right. We get to the finals. Don, the Predator Fry, standing at his 6 1, 206, coming up against the final Goliath, 
Gary, Big Daddy Goodridge, six foot three, two hundred and fifty-eight pounds. Both men are two and zero in the UFC, both with two knockouts. And Fry's the last David standing. Goodrich, the last Goliath. For all the marbles, you can't write a story better than this, if you ask me. Um, Fry comes out in Southpaw. Goodrich, an orthodox. Goodrich opens up throwing big wide left hooks from far away, sort of just swinging at air, trying to close that distance. And um, Don Fry ends up pushing Goodrich back by using some alternating straight strikes, just throwing in combination, forcing Goodrich to keep going back until he finally gets him forced up against the fence. Um, uh, Don Fry ends up going for a body lock, landing some nice knees to the thigh in that position, wearing on Gary Goodrich. Uh, Goodrich eventually is able to circle him off the fence beautifully, might I add, and uh, ducks him for a body lock takedown of his own. Uh, Don Fry is able to sort of break the hands, break the grip, um, from there, Goodrich stays in the clinch and sort of circles to the back. Um, Don Fry tries to throw a big back elbow, but Goodrich has his head right in the middle of his back in a good position to sort of avoid those backward angle strikes. Uh, Goodrich able to forward trip Don Fry, forcing him to land on his hands and knees um, as he's sort of walking forward. And you see Don Fry's inching towards the fence. So this is the first time I've ever seen this, where you see a guy being conscious about wall walking with the fence. So instead of trying to avoid the fence when getting taken down, he's looking up immediately, trying to see how far away he is from the fence to see if he can grab it to use it to get back up. Uh, I found that really cool and just um, cool cage awareness there for Don Fry. But... Um, <clears throat> Once Fry gets back up on his feet, this this I found hilarious because um, obviously he just tripped him from a back body lock. Um, it was he's still connected to him, still holding him. As soon as Fry gets back up on his feet, instead of like trying to secure the position and get a good takedown, Goodridge lifts him and throws him up in the air. But instead of like holding on to try to get a takedown, he just lets him go. So he's like flying, <laughs> not flying, but he's, he's suspended in the air and then just starts falling back down. And once he hits the mat, um, Goodridge runs to try to hit him and throws a big head kick and just misses like just this close as um, Fry is sort of um, scrambling back to his feet. I thought that was really cool because it, it was strange in the way that if you're going for that takedown, you got the elevation, you threw him in the air, you might as well land on top of him and try to maintain top position. But he did a really good job, even though it didn't land, of trying to capitalize on that moment. Uh, so I found that pretty cool. Um, they end up back at range. Don's leading with a nice southpaw jab. Goodrich is slipping back, avoiding these and trying to counter um, with some alternating left and right hooks. Um, eventually, Fry is able to duck under those shots and go into a takedown attempt. But Goodrich has a great sprawl, man. We saw this earlier as well. He does a good job of securing an underhook in order to stay on his feet so that he doesn't even have to, um, like, belly out entirely. He can sort of hold up Don Fry, and he now finds himself against the fence. Um, really nice exchange here where Fry's landing some nice dirty boxing uppercuts. 
Goodridge answers back with a big right hook in close, but Fry does not care. He stays inside, um, lands some more nice uppercuts, and you see Goodrich's mouthpiece fly out. Excuse me. And you can see Don Fry smells blood in the water. Um, Goodrich starts covering up. Uh, Fry's just throwing them uppercuts, bus driver uppercuts, if you ask me. Um, <clears throat> and literally, you see Don Fry ends up from that position, sort of pushing him up against the fence. Goodrich shoots on the legs, which I found so, so crazy. Um, Fry grabs onto the fence, like sort of a, in a pull-up position, like he's holding it like just like this. And um, Goodrich has him in a position to go for a takedown and he's pulling his legs, but he's holding onto the top of the, the cage. Uh, so he can't pull him off. Like he's pulling him. If, if the cage wasn't there, he would have been taken down, but because he's holding on, he's just holding himself up like this, uh, which is so strange, dude. You, you, you see that happen sometimes now, but you can't get away with it the way Don Fry did. He was holding on for at least 20, 30 seconds while Gary Goodrich is trying to pull him off. But eventually Big John tells him to let go of the top of the cage and Goodrich is able to actually take him down. From there, Goodrich tries to jump on the back, but is very, very high. Um, sort of his hips are almost parallel to uh, Don Fry's neck, if, if you could visualize that. So he's very high up um, on the back. And eventually, Don Fry is able to sort of buck him over and end up on top, on top position. Um, and landing strikes, Goodrich is covering up forcing him to cover up and finally um, Goodrich ends up tapping the strikes at two minutes and 14 seconds I know that's surprising because I said a lot that that really says how much they really packed into this two minutes both of these guys were really going after it putting themselves in good positions landing good shots and also gauging the opponent's reaction in a very good way sort of putting themselves in a great position to succeed so this was a really fun wild fight and now Don Fry has three finishes to end the night and another tournament uh, championship win for that Dan Severn, Don Fry camp. Uh, you love to see it. You love to see new faces um, coming through in the UFC and making a big stamp, becoming tournament champions. Now we got another name to look out for. And even though this, this one wasn't as star-studded as far as returning UFC fighters, I think the only one was um paul varlins but um nonetheless this was an awesome event i think this was the most finishes if i can if i recall like my notes only ended up coming out to being like um three pages so definitely was quick fast and furious which you love to see and the crowd was really engaged in this one so you really can't ask for much more than that but let's get on to our post-fight awards. You already know it's important that we get to talking about these because this is what, in my opinion, this is what you guys come here for. We got to find out what's the best fights and why. Um, so my fight of the night goes to Don Fry versus Gary Goodrich. Just a back and this was the only back and forth fight, if you ask me. Um, of course, we had that slog fest between Morera and um, Paul Varlins, but even then, it wasn't really back and forth. It was sort of more steady 
finding our way towards the end of the fight. Um, this was back and forth. You didn't really know which way it was going until it went. So you love to see it. This was an awesome one. Fight of the night goes to them. And in the tournament finals, you love to see it. Next up, my performance of the night. If you ask me, this is another knockout of the night, but I'm going to leave it as performance of the night because you ain't going to see nothing like this again. <laughs> I'll say it just like that. Gary Goodrich versus Paul Herrera. Just beautiful work from that position, getting himself in that position and then finishing the fight in just the most brutal fashion. Um, this still shows up on highlight reels to this day. Uh, so it was really cool to see that moment um, and relive that and understand, you know, that that was 1996, dude. Like that was a long time ago and it's still a relevant, um, famous knockout in that way. So big props to Gary Goodridge on that one. Next up, we got our KO of the night. This one, uh, you had to give it to Don Fry versus Thomas Ramirez. You look at him across the ring and Ramirez looks out of shape, but he's much bigger than Don Fry. Like it, it, it's, it looks hard. Well, sorry, not it looks hard. It's hard to imagine um, that Don Fry is going to just steamroll this dude. And that's exactly what he does. Uh, throws four strikes and the third one just caves him in crushes him sends him fall into the canvas out cold um just a big knockout um the bigger they are the harder they fall and that's real uh thomas ramirez ended up falling sort of his head hit the, the fence and he stood there like he wasn't even like trying to move he, he stood right there that's how you know he was entirely out so if you ask me that wasn't a bad stoppage because it's really hard to to know uh, when someone falls like that, um, it's hard to to be quicker than you than you could because you don't expect people to fall that way. Um, so that that was just right on the button. You can't you can't really ask for much more from Big John, but just a great knockout for Don Fry. Great way to start off his tournament run. And finally, our submission of the night. I gave it to Ken Shamrock against Chemo. Another beautiful leg lock to add to his trophy case. He got a bunch of dudes' knees, uh, knee ligaments. He takes them home with him all the time. And he got, he got a trophy case full of them, I'm sure. Uh, great knee bar submission there and a competitive fight. You know, it was scary for a moment there. And everyone that Chemo comes up against, even though he's 0-2 in the UFC, he gives them he gives them a hard time. I will admit it. Um, obviously not as hard of a time as Hoist Gracie, but... He gave he gave Ken Shamrock a formidable fight, so you gotta you gotta give it up to him on that one. So just like that, man, we're finished up with another episode of the MMA Archive, UFC Eight. Man, this was awesome. Just once again, super happy to to relive this one and feel it. This was the first big crowd, thirteen thousand people, and and you felt that like they they were really loving this one, and you feel the momentum of the sport. Um, and big finishes, recognizable names. Once again, we're, we're creeping on down before we know it. Uh, next year, because we're at 96 right now, next year we're going we're gonna to have some other um, major promotions to look at here, which is super exciting for me. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed this one, man. I had a great time doing it. Once again, if you liked what you've seen and you've seen what you liked, follow me on Twitter 
at Negrong MMA. You could also catch me on Instagram at Chris Negrong underscore. Um, also make sure that you follow the brand OTS Media Co. on all platforms except for YouTube. There you'll find us at OTS Media. Check out our stuff, man. We got big sports coverage across all sports. Um, you can't go wrong. Definitely check us out. So many good things coming and rebrands, great graphics, new segments. Just we're doing so many good things and it feels so good to feel the momentum behind OTS right now. So continue to show us the support. Please give a like rating. Go to go to the Apple store. Give this show a, a rating. Let them know that you're loving it. Let them know how you're feeling about it, because that's how we end up trending. That's how we end up on these charts, man. We need your support. And it feels really good to get that on a regular basis on with you guys interactions on Twitter, etc. Um, but make sure to make sure to get those reviews in, you know, I, I can't wait to get one of those and really see how you guys feel about the show. So and if there's anything you think I should change or improve, man, reach out to me on Twitter. Let me know what you think. Let me know what I should do. Uh, let me know what I could add to the show that will make it more interesting for you guys. I uh, would love to interact with you guys in that way and get some feedback. So thank you so much for your time. Once again, looking forward to seeing you again next week with what I can only imagine would be UFC number nine. So thank you so much. Always humbled by your support. And I hope you have a great, hope you have a great one. <laughs> Peace.